So that was a big burst of energy. <laughs> and I, I get, you know, it was hard to interrupt the silence, and now it feels hard to interrupt the speaking. So <laughs> anyway, here we are. I kind of promised you some bit of a talk, some information, some context for what we're doing here. So you might remember last year we had this theme for these talks. Can you hear okay? Would, you, would it be easier if you came a little closer or maybe even pulled your chair a little closer? Yep, okay. Let's see, how is that? That's perfect. That's good? Well done. So you can hear better there? Okay, come on up. <laughs> so, as I was saying, last year we had this theme that we called Taking Refuge in the Dharma, which is one of the central kind of themes in Buddhism. And the Dharma means both the teachings that the Buddha gave and the truth of how life is. And the Buddha understood that being human means that we have to navigate uncertainty, instability, change. And I think this week especially, we can't really deny that. <laughs> At any moment, anything could happen. And a lot of what happens is un not under our control. At best, we have limited control over and this is just a basic truth that I think most of us tend to resist in various ways. Does that feel true too? We don't really want to fully accept how little control we have over a lot of what happens to us. And we tend to want to believe that we are in control and that if we can just do X or if we can just get more of Y or if we can just find out how to achieve Z, then we'll be okay then we'll live happily ever after. But unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. Even so, there's this primal belief, and I think it's reinforced by society, that we tend to think that we should be in control, and a successful life is one in which we arrange everything out there, including other people, to be exactly how we want them to be. Some of you are laughing a little because we know that's not how it is. It's not in alignment with the reality. So when things don't go our way, when, are, when we are challenged in some way, we tend to suffer even more. So the antidote is to live in alignment with that existential truth, that life doesn't always deliver exactly what we want when we want it that at times we will experience pain, unsatisfactoriness, stress, distress, anguish, as well, of course, as all the good things. So these teachings are not denying that there are a lot of beautiful, pleasant, wonderful experiences to be had too. And the Buddha's not negating that. He's just asking us to look at the whole <coughs> spectrum of experience instead of our more usual habit of being caught in the binary of wanting this and not wanting that. And the problem with that binary is that we put all our time into trying to control outer situations, which we can't really control. We don't 
put time into developing our inner resources, which is actually what we do have some control over. And it's those inner resources that are really the key to happiness, contentment, well-being, satisfaction. And this is what the Buddha is pointing to when he talks about taking refuge in Dharma. So Dharma is the truth of how things are, and the refuge, the shelter, the safety comes from living in alignment with that truth. And the more we do that, the more it strengthens our capacity to meet life's challenges with at least some degree of ease. Okay, so that's the bigger picture of what we've been exploring. And this evening, as we start the new year, I wanted to kind of zoom in to a subset of these teachings to focus on one particular list, a list of inner skillful qualities known as the Ten Parami. And these are qualities of character, you could say. And the reason I wanted to focus on them is because they're qualities that actually need the challenges of daily life to strengthen them. So I'll let you know what the ten are, just so you get the flavor of them, and then I'll go into them in a little bit more detail. So, ten parami are generosity, ethics or non-harming, renunciation, wisdom, energy, patience, truthfulness, determination, kindness, and equanimity. Now, we've touched into these a few times before, most recently back in 2018, but I wanted to bring them in again now, partly because they're always relevant, they always are applicable in daily life, and I felt maybe even more so right now, with Auckland still being in the state of emergency due to the extreme weather, the flooding that's been happening this week, and may continue, we don't know. So if you saw this week's email update, you might have seen I shared a quote from Ajahn Suchito. And that quote was using the metaphor of floods. And there's actually a very literal connection between the parami and flooding. So the Buddha often used the metaphor of a river for the life challenges that we face. And he talked about it's as if we have a flooded river that we need to cross to get to the safety of the further shore. And in the teachings, the further shore is a metaphor for freedom, for awakening, for nibbana. So I'll just share that quote with you again. You may have read it. He says, A way of talking about transcendence, liberation, or however you conceive of a spiritual path is to use the metaphor of crossing the floods. Interest in deep change gets triggered by that feeling of being swept along by events, by the sense of being overwhelmed by, and even going under a tide of worries and duties and pressures. That's the floods. And crossing them is about coming through all of that to find some firm ground. It takes some work. It takes some skill. But we can do it. Okay, so how do these ten parami, how do they help us to find firm ground? 
Well, you know, on first hearing, maybe they sound a bit ordinary every day. But actually, this is one aspect of these teachings that I appreciate. Often in the broader Buddhist teachings, some of the things we hear about can sound pretty lofty or idealized or even remote. But I think in this list, we have 10 qualities all of us can recognize as being skillful and beneficial. And to me, what's really key, all of us already have, maybe not all of them, but most of them to some extent. So I'm going to run through the list again now a little more slowly. And as you hear each one, you might just sort of check internally and see. For some of them, there might be a definite sense of, yeah, yeah, that one resonates. That one, there's a recognition. For others, there might be, "Mm, not so sure about that one. (laughs) Don't like the sound of that one. That's okay. You're just invited to notice without judgment because that's going to be useful information to come back to. Okay, so if it helps, you might close your eyes for a moment just to settle inwards, and I'll read the list. So generosity or dana, the willingness to share and also to receive. Ethics or sila, the commitment to non-harming. Renunciation or relinquishment, living a simple life and taking care with resources. Wisdom, insight, clear seeing, understanding the truth of how things are. Energy, effort, exertion, motivation. Patience. Forbearance, tolerance, endurance. Truthfulness. Speaking the truth. Acting from integrity. Knowing what's true. Determination. Resolve. Steadfastness. Kindness or metta, friendliness, benevolence, good will, and equanimity, balance, steadiness, non reactivity. Okay, so those are the ten, and I'm pretty sure you would have recognized at least one of those qualities. You don't have to raise your hand, that's okay. But I can say, just the ones of you that I know, and just from the outside, everyone here is already higher than average in terms of ethical, 
conduct, in terms of generosity, in terms of kindness, friendliness, I'm pretty confident that that's true. It's a little bit of a self-selected group. So those are just some of the more obvious ones. And I like to emphasize the ones that are already strong for each of us because, as some of you know, this term parami is usually translated as perfection. And so these are qualities that we can perfect. And in some ways that's unfortunate because in Western mainstream society there's already a lot of idealism, a lot of perfectionism, And it can be very easy for, at times, these teachings to inadvertently reinforce the tendency to make all of this into a self-improvement project and to hear this list and take it as just another set of ways that we're not good enough, that we should be doing better, that we need to measure up. So in offering this series, it's really important to keep in mind a distinction I make between discernment and judgment. So discernment is, well, I'll start with judgment. Judgment, I think, is something that unfortunately most of us are pretty familiar with, especially in relation to ourselves. That tendency to judge ourselves as not being good enough or not getting it right, not measuring up should be different, should be better. And when I say that, you might recognize that in that judgment, there's a lot of self-view. There's a lot of I, me, mine, a lot of making an identity out of those supposed deficiencies. And the Buddha recognized this tendency to personalize and make identity out of things is another way that we add to our suffering. So in contrast to judgment, I see discernment as being just clear seeing, just that recognition. We all have conditioned tendencies. We all have habits and patterns. And we can recognize some of them are beneficial, some of them not so helpful. And so in that clear seeing, free of identification, we can just steer in the direction of what's beneficial without making a solid, fixed me who should be different in some way. So some of you may remember in previous talks, I prefer to think of the parami not so much as perfections, but as qualities that we can polish because they're already there in here. And just that act, that intention of turning towards what's skillful, recognizing it, acknowledging it, that makes it stronger, makes it grow. And just like we're to polish a piece of timber or to polish a stone, that action of recognizing, polishing, brings out the beauty, brings these qualities to the foreground of awareness where we can see them more clearly and appreciate them. So if we maybe stretch this metaphor of polishing a little further, as I mentioned, these qualities, they need the rough and tumble of daily life for them to be developed. And some of you know, in the, when we polish rocks, you know, there's whole... Uh, clubs of people who polish rocks and they put all these raw pebbles in a tumbler with each other and then they churn them and churn them and churn them and all of that banging together of the rocks 
smooths off the sharp edges. Then they put in grit and it polishes until we get the luster and the beauty of those pebbles. And in a way, that's what the parami are doing with the rough and tumble of everyday life. If we don't resist it, it offers us the opportunity when we encounter challenges to... In the Tibetan tradition, they talk about turning poison into medicine. And that's another way of framing what these parami do. Whenever we have to navigate something that's unpleasant, unwelcome, unwanted, if we think of that in terms of, well, what parami can this situation help develop? then even the most challenging situation gives us an opportunity to transform toxins into something healing and healthy and nourishing. So maybe that sounds good in theory. <laughs> Many of these things do. How, let's explore how might that work in actual practice. So again, you know, just the current flooding in Auckland, very immediate example, one that I think all of us are affected to some extent. We heard in the check-in earlier, some of you mentioned anxiety, uncertainty, and so forth. So we're not in any way denying that this is a stressful situation for a lot of people. Very easy to fall into overwhelm. It is natural to feel anxiety, helplessness, grief, anger, despair. And if that's the case, we want to take care of those emotions first. We need to meet those emotions with kindness and compassion. But then, when we have a bit more steadiness, then we can use the lens of the ten parami to explore, well, how can this challenge be an opportunity? How might it strengthen those inner resources? So don't worry, I'm not going to go through every single one of the ten parami one by one. I'm just going to highlight a few that to me seem quite relevant. So the first one, generosity, dana, to me that seemed pretty obvious. I don't know if you've had this experience, but almost as soon as the flooding started happening, there were people out there helping their neighbors, and certainly once the rain died down a bit, just teams of people going to their neighbors, their communities, the marae sprang into action, donations were flowing, people were volunteering their time. As we have our TV star here who mentioned <laughs> he's the poster boy for showing up and uh, cleaning out gutters live on TV. So... You know, we maybe all have maybe less dramatic, less public examples, but I'm pretty confident that we've all seen generosity coming into action. Does that feel true as in response to the floods? So generosity and I think another of the parami, metta or kindness, very naturally come together. So we can see generosity is actually the physical expression of that intention of kindness and care. And actually this is another example of what I appreciate about the parami. Yeah, we have a list of 10, and maybe for some of you 10 seems like a daunting number. Oh my goodness, <laughs> 10 different things. But actually it doesn't matter where you start. Whichever one you start with, 
tends to bring in all the others. So just like with generosity, generosity and kindness start with one, they're the flip side of each other. They naturally start to merge and emerge. You could also say that generosity brings with it, in its positive expression, the parami of renunciation. And just to acknowledge, you know, in English this word renunciation usually doesn't sound that appealing to people. Partly, I think, because of our Judeo-Christian heritage and the, it's associated with punishment and penance and doing without and austerity. There are a lot, there's a lot more subtlety in, of this in relation to the Buddha's teachings, though. And we'll probably explore that in more detail later on. But for now, to say renunciation is not just about giving up material things. It also includes softening our grasping to views and opinions. It includes softening our clinging and attachment to all things. So releasing a little self-cherishing, releasing the tendency to self-indulgence, being willing to be content with what we actually have. And again, I think we can see this in relation to the floods. You know, I was just thinking about all the people who are having to work extra, extra hard right now. All the rubbish crews who are just like working round, round the clock along the flooded streets, loading all of the flood damaged stuff. All the insurance assessors, all the council, city council staff, all, it's just endless. You probably hear no people who are having to do extra work have to put aside our own needs temporarily and step in, step up, help out. And for me, just seeing that and thinking about all the extra work that some people are having to go through, it made me a little bit more willing to not be so fixated and, oh, I've got this to do today. I've got, can I put aside some time and help out with the flood effort? And it does take effort to do that. So again, we see effort, energy, yet another parami. It's not enough just to have the idea, the intention to help out. We need to get over that hurdle and actually show up and do things. And actually, taking action can be a very powerful antidote to that tendency to fall into overwhelm or despair. And even if that action seems small or insignificant, it still has a powerful effect. So I think of this quote that I shared from the climate activist Greta Thunberg uh, a while back. She said, instead of looking for hope, look for action. Then, and only then, will hope come. Though it's not wishful thinking, we can take action and then the hope will come. And it might seem from the outside that we're making effort on behalf of other people but as most of you know, a lot of the time, we ourselves reap unexpected benefits. So in English, we talk about enlightened self-interest. And to me, at least, the enlightened part of the enlightened self-interest, that relinks to the parami of wisdom. So wisdom helps us see beyond immediate gratification and helps us recognize the longer-term benefits of what we're doing. 
and that what we're doing is not just for our own benefit, but for others too, for our neighborhoods, our communities, our societies. And as the Dharma acknowledges, because all of us are connected through this vast web of causes and conditions, we need to maintain those connections for our own benefit as well as everyone else's. Now this is pretty, in some ways, radical because our mainstream dominant capitalist cultural conditioning would like us to believe that we're separate, we're disconnected, we're individuals, and that only things that are of any value are things that can be measured in dollar terms or in terms of material gain. And those same values tell us that in order to be happy, we have to continuously consume and spend to keep our whole economic system in a state of perpetual growth. Now, I'm guessing most of you here understand the limitations of that kind of short-term thinking. But I'm mentioning it now because in relation to wisdom, I think the flooding in Auckland is giving us, it's, you know, it's a painful opportunity but we can see how those kind of values really feed into and exacerbate the effects of climate change. I don't know about for any of you, but there's been moments when I just, I, didn't, I wanted to turn away. I didn't want to see the extent of the damage. And I didn't want to see how badly certain communities, certain people have been affected. Now again, the wisdom of the parami, at times it might be wise to turn away temporarily if we're getting overwhelmed. But temporarily is the key. When we have the inner resources again, the invitation is to look clearly and to see what is going on here. And for me, at least, it was, it's been painful to see how the communities that are most affected are Maori, Pacifica, migrant, all the communities that are already struggling. And in many ways, this is a microcosm of the bigger picture of what's happening around the world in relation to climate change. As we know, the peoples, the societies that have done the least to create climate change are bearing the biggest burden. And even in Grey Lynn, as a microcosm, I was walking down a street on Saturday one Grayland Street on one side, all the villas, the nice gardens, everything looked pretty normal. Just across the road, a meter lower, in a kind of a river course, state housing, and all the fences washed away, porter cabins off their foundations, belongings all laid out on the grass ready to be carted away. Just a meter difference across the width of the street massive impact on what side of the street you lived on. Now, I know all of you are aware of this to some extent, but in a way the floods are making more obvious the kind of how climate change is exacerbating systemic harm for those who can least afford it. And so this links to another parami, the parami of sila or ethical conduct. And traditionally, this parami is about keeping the precepts. 
So not killing, not stealing, not misusing our sexual energy, not lying, not abusing intoxicants. But it's grounded in this underlying principle of not causing harm to ourselves, to others. So in relation to the flooding, it just brings questions to my mind. Like when I see that level of systemic harm to all of us, including non-human beings, including our entire ecosystem, what can I do? What is a skillful response in the face of these challenges? I hope you weren't waiting for an answer. Because <laughs> there aren't, sadly, there aren't easy answers. But just asking the question together is a way that we can strengthen this parami of wisdom. And one of the benefits of being in a group like this is what we do have collective wisdom. I'm definitely not the expert here. So I thought to just bring this to a close and just make sure we have time to hear from any of you. Any responses, any shared wisdom, any moral support. How do we strengthen these paramis? How do we navigate these difficult times together? So thank you for listening. Thank you for your attention. I'll leave it there. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.